Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always is the super crazy awesome Jonathan Strickland. Hey, Ariel, Cohen, I ask you a question. You're going to pitch a show about a historical figure a la Hamilton. What figure from history do you pick? Just for comedy's sake, I'm going to say the Earl of Sandwich, and it's interactive. Each act or each musical number, the audience gets another piece of the sandwich that they will build during the show to eat at intermission for their snack. I like it. So it's so it's dinner theater. It's dinner theater. <laughs> I mean, I, I am sure there are, I am 100% certain there are much more important historical figures to write a musical about, but I don't know, that just off the top of my head, that amuses me. I think that's a good answer. I think that's a good answer. Okay. Well, I would say Gutenberg as in the creator of the printing press, but uh, some people from the upright citizens brigade already did that and they did an amazing job. So that's a comedy masterpiece. I can't touch. So my choice is Joshua Abraham Norton, AKA emperor Norton, the first of the United States of America. 
He's a guy who was born in England, raised okay. in South Africa, came over to San Francisco in the mid 1800s. And after having a massive financial uh, uh, setback, uh, got very fed up with the court systems in the United States and self-proclaimed uh, as the emperor of the U.S. And people in San Francisco thought he was amusing. And he even printed up currency of his own uh, device and people accepted it and they celebrated him. That's, that would be a lot of fun uh, it, to watch a musical it, on that. It's absolutely gotta, true. And it's totally bonkers. <laughs> it is very bonkers. You know, my other choice, because, you know, I always got to come in with my indecision at the end of it, uh, would be Mr. Rogers. Because a musical about Mr. Rogers. Uh, I think hardcore gangster rap Mr. Rogers show would be amazing. It would be amazing. You know, I'm I'm sure he'd approve, but you know, I, I like positive influential figures and celebrating them. And anytime there's a Mr. Rogers movie, I watch it or documentary, I watch it. So musical is the next logical step there. Uh, right. maybe he could have a heartfelt discussion with uh your emperor. <laughs> That would be that would be interesting. He could find out why the emperor was so sad and it all has to do with rice. But that's a story for another time. What we're going to do instead is transition <laughs> into our news items. And first up is we wanted to talk a little bit about the the trailer that was released for Shang-Chi, the uh, the next Marvel film that's about a character who has uh, a history with the Ten Rings, the the same organization that uh, brought us the Mandarin and the Iron Man movies. This trailer was so exciting to me uh, in a way that I expected, I don't know, something that felt more Marvel or more martial arts or more Iron Fist, which was the, the least favorite of the Defender movies on Netflix. But instead, I got something that just delighted me and excited me and surprised me in a myriad of ways all the way through the trailer is going, Oh, that's so cool. Oh, that's so cool. It's kind of, it feels like Marvel's answer to mortal Kombat to me. I th I feel like it's almost like, I mean, we're going to get Marvel's answer to Batman later on, but it feels a little like mm -hmm. Marvel's answer to Batman in that the, the bits you see about Shang-Chi's the, the character's childhood, um, and what he has gone through in in regard to, to training reminds me a lot of stuff you see Bruce Wayne going through once he's determined that he wants to become a vigilante. And um, uh, it's, it, you know, the, the movie doesn't give it too many details. It's a lot of style, but it's really cool style. It gives little hints of things like the history of the character the fact that the character has had sort of a 10 year grace period after training to kind of have experiences before being told that now it's time for you to assume your responsibility and your place. Um, and mm -hmm. there's not like a whole lot of, of humor in the trailer until the very, very end of it. And it's, it's a great stinger, uh, a fantastic mm -hmm. way to end your trailer, but it, does just it looks really good and the the fight choreography looks really good it actually makes me think of um like the fight sequence in uh in in winter soldier where captain america's in the the elevator and has mm -hmm. to fight his way out 
it makes me think of that. Like it's that kind of really physical fight choreography and you can follow the action in even just those short bits of the trailer. Something I really appreciate because for a while there, the style of the day was someone's fighting. Someone got hit. I don't know if it was the good guy or the bad guy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is it puts the pedestrians is the wrong word. It puts the civilians in the trailer into situations that I, I found like very like, Oh my goodness, this happened and he just saved her from this thing. Uh, not to be vague, watch the trailer. You'll understand what I'm talking about. But just the the situations that the fights were in, the way that the people were saved, the danger that the people were in. And yeah, the moves, it was, it was clear and it was fresh. You, you make a great point because this is a trailer where we see a hero being heroic, which everyone who's heard mm-hmm. me on this podcast knows that's my biggest complaint about the DC movies is that with the exception of Wonder Woman, Um, The DC characters are rarely shown to be heroic toward ordinary people. They're they're more like super powered action figures fighting each other. Well, and and Shang-Chi is is. Are are you familiar with the character? I am not. This is one of those like I would put this up there with Iron Fist. Like there were certain types of characters from the comic books that I just never really learned much about. So this was one where I went into it blind, not knowing what to expect, not really expecting to to have it resonate with me, but the trailer hit all the right buttons for me. Yeah, I, to me, like he's he's definitely more street level, like a, a defender, um, because he doesn't really have superpowers. He's just like you said, like Batman, really friggin' good at what he does. Mm. Um, so that also makes his heroicism to me a little bit more important in moving. It is interesting to think that he has been incorporated into this because, you know, the Marvel has sort of escalated throughout the process of the MCU movies coming out. And we're now at the point where we're getting into cosmic level heroes and villains, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we already are there. Thanos was one. But uh, Doctor Strange, Scarlet Witch, Captain Marvel, you know, these are characters who are immensely powerful in the Marvel universe. Mm -hmm. And it is refreshing to see that Marvel hasn't turned away from characters on the other side of the spectrum who have great stories to tell, but they aren't like cosmic level powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not the fantastic four or any of these other characters. No, I mean, we also have the new Hawkeye movie coming out and Hawkeye doesn't have superpowers. He's just really good at what he does. I would even wager that Falcon doesn't have superpowers. He has a super suit, but you know, not, he's not even like Iron Man where he's fully protected in his suit of armor. He's, he's just got some, some wings and then it's pretty badass. No spoilers. Have you not seen the most recent episode? Oh, I have, but maybe not all of our listeners oh, okay. have. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I mean, he does have wings, chicken wings. They're delicious. He, he, anyhow, speaking of things that has wings. <laughs> yes, let's speak things of things that, that has wings. wings. <laughs> <laughs> We's talking about helicopters now. I guess we're just uh, adopting a different manner of speech. No, we want to talk about uh, we want to talk about ingenuity. The the little chopper that could on Mars. Yes. So this was like a what NASA would refer to as like a high risk experiment because there was no guarantee that it was ever going to work. Ingenuity 
is a little helicopter-like drone that hitched a ride aboard the Perseverance rover. And uh, it has rotors that are very long and very light. It's made out of like carbon fiber. It's It weighs about four pounds here on Earth, but you got to remember that Mars gravity is about 38% of what Earth's is, so it's different there. But mm-hmm. um, Mars's atmosphere is like 1% the density of Earth's atmosphere. So there's less air to generate lift from. So the scientists really weren't sure if they were going to be able to make this happen. In order for it to work, Mm -hmm. the rotors have to turn at around 2,400 revolutions per minute. Now, by comparison, a terrestrial helicopter, one here on Earth, those the main rotors turn at about 400 to 500 revolutions per minute. So this is like six times as fast almost. And um, Mm -hmm. that was just necessary for this little thing to be able to fly. So earlier this week, NASA gave it a test run and yeah, it done flew. It done flew, uh, which is so exciting because it means that we can explore parts of Mars that we haven't been able to explore before uh, and get all kinds of new data and pictures. And uh, now to be clear, this one probably not going to do a whole lot of that because it's very limited. No, it uh, can. It only is planned to take as many as five total test flights. That's if it can do that. It just has a a camera on it. It doesn't have any like um, uh, uh, scientific experiments on it. But this is a proof of concept that worked. So like you were saying, Ariel, Mm -hmm. it means that in the future we could send up, you know, other types of aircraft that could potentially do some really cool science over on Mars. Yeah, yeah. And I'm super excited that I was alive and aware when that happened. Uh, Somebody else who did some pretty kooky science uh, was Dr. Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And this next news article is just specifically for Jonathan and our other friend, Shay, because there is a theater in Portland that through this pandemic has continued showing the Rocky Horror Picture Show every single week, even if there's nobody in the theater. Yeah, um, this is this is hilarious. So Nathan Williams, who who hosts the screenings, kept it going even during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes he said that it was just for himself. Sometimes a friend would come along. So just imagine that it's two people otherwise alone in the theater watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, according to the article that Ariel found, this particular theater in Portland has been showing Rocky Horror for 43 years. It has been having these weekly screenings. And of course, if you're not familiar with this ritual, Rocky Horror is a cult film that uh, for some people, it is a weekly experience to go to a screening and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over the years, people have created various callback responses to the stuff that happens in the movie. So there's a whole script that the audience can follow to um, respond to stuff that characters on screen are saying, most of which we cannot quote because this is a family friendly no. show. Yeah. 
And I will say, and I know Jonathan will probably shun me for this, without that call and response, without that audience interaction, the movie gets a little long uh, So, and is not near as I, much I fun. think I think uh, <laughs> part of the issue is that it is a love letter to the B movies of like the 1950s, but with a really campy twist. Um, and mm-hmm. those B movies of the 1950s always would drag. They always did. And this one is faithful to that tradition and it drags too. Uh, And I didn't mean that in the pun sense, but that also applies. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it does. But you know, I just think it's delightful that um, they kept it going for the 54 weeks that they were under quarantine. Uh, Now, now they have, they're about to open back up. Um, I've already done a couple of screenings with a limited number of tickets per screening. Yeah. So they're hoping they can stick with that. I guess if if people continue to stay safe, they will. But I just, you know, whether you like the movie or not, I think it's just a delightful story. Well, and and it's it's a movie that has a community around it. And that community has mm-hmm. community activities that are centered on the movie. So in a way, I would say like Rocky Horror coming back is kind of a a one of those indicators of people being able to reconnect. It is, you know, the movie is not so much as important as the people who come together to celebrate the film. The movie is just the conduit that brings the people together. And, uh, and that is something that is pretty exciting to see. You know, I'm kind of surprised that uh, Mad Max hasn't had the same sort of community built around it. uh, Because I would say that is, that is certainly a special series of movies as well. One that I like, although to me, the first one is doesn't really count. Yeah, no, that one's a tough watch. Road Warrior is tons of fun. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Thunderdome is, is Thunderdome. bizarre. Like Thunderdome is the but, first half of Thunderdome is fantastic. And the second half is a little challenging mm-hmm. to get through. Uh, Fury Road was just a giant chase movie, Fu- but it had some fun Fury Road to me it. is flawless. That is like. That is like a perfect Mad Max movie. Oh, I loved it. But now we're getting another one. Uh, they're finally uh, gearing up to start filming the spinoff Furiosa. Yeah, and this one's not a sequel. It's a prequel. It's it's telling the story of Furiosa mm-hmm. before the stuff we saw in Fury Road. Yes, and Anya Taylor-Joy will be playing her and Chris Hemsworth will be in it. And they're saying that it might be one of the largest movies made in Australia? I don't, that's hard to believe. Well, I mean, it's Australia. It's not New Zealand. I mean, but, you know, you've got Marvel movies that also film yeah. there. I mean, like, I imagine there's going to be some pretty amazing stuff. I, I wonder how many of the characters that we saw in Fury Road might make an appearance. Like, will we see the... Like a baby Nux? Well, I'm thinking of the various warlords who were in mm-hmm. Fury Road, if any of them will show up. Not necessarily. Furiosa might end up taking place in a totally different part, a totally different region, and only well, hint at how she came to be where she was by the beginning of Fury Road. I think, if I recall correctly from Fury Road, and I could be wrong because it's been a while since I watched it, even though I own it, um, that she was stolen from her tribe, yeah. mm-hmm. essentially, her group of people by Immortan Joe's right, people. Right, right. So, you know, and this is, I think, after that time or she would have remembered it based on Anya Taylor-Joy's yes. age. So I would imagine we'd see at least yeah, some of uh, that. Assuming that she's not like 
you know, on assignment far from home or something where you can avoid having mm -hmm. to have those characters come back. Um, but yeah, I think it would be great to learn a little more. Part of it, part of me thinks it's great. Part of me thinks that some of the magic of Mad Max is that you get very little explanation for a lot of the characters mm -hmm. that you see, which allows you to kind of imagine what their backstories must be. Sometimes that gets fleshed out in additional material like comic books or whatever, or video games. But um, there's always the danger of a prequel or a sequel, but really for prequels, to take a bit of the magic out by trying to explain something that maybe didn't need to be explained. That being said, I am very excited to see this. I, 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 I'm going to have to wait till June of 2023 before I can do it. Uh, I, I bet it will be worth the wait. Uh Something that a bunch of other people were excited to see was a new series based on Avatar The Last Airbender, which got recently announced. Now, it's not an animated show like Korra, like Legends of Korra. It is a fan discussion series for YouTube. Yeah, panel discussions where they get groups of fans together to debate different things within the Avatar universe. I watched the trailer. Things get heated. <laughs> people people have opinions. Um and it's yes. funny, uh, like it's not 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 like funny in a way where I'm ridiculing people. I mean, this is part of what fandom is, right? Fandom yeah. is is all about people who are very passionate about the stuff they love and having their own take on it, their own perspective on it, and then coming together and talking that out with other fans. And sometimes you find out you've got points of commonality and sometimes you find out that your perspectives are absolutely in opposition to each other. And that's what the series seems to be about. Yeah. And I think it's a great testament to the writers of the Avatar animated series universe that they created something that so many people have different viewpoints on. Um, if you want to watch it, you can. It starts on April 24th on the Avatar YouTube channel. Um, and Jonathan and I want to talk about one of our favorite, well, one of our favorite film director groups and our opinions about it. And maybe things will get heated. I guess we'll have to see. But first, we're going to take a quick break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker 
retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So, Ariel. Yes, Jonathan? In your memory, do you know, we're going to be talking about the Coen brothers uh, and their films and what we think about them. Uh, neither of us have seen all of them. Um, I've seen uh, 11 of the 18 movies that the, the duo have officially worked on together. There's a 19th that's in production now, but obviously I haven't seen that one. Um, but do you remember what the first Coen brothers movie was that you saw? Yes, it was. Oh brother. Where are you? Oh, wow. Okay. So, so relatively late comer to the Coen brothers. And of course, Oh brother, where art thou is, you know, it's, it's set in in the United States um, it's it's set in the early 1900s when radio is just starting to become a real thing and recording is becoming a real thing and uh, and it's a retelling of the Odyssey yeah yeah it's taking a, a mythological approach to the story uh, and like like most Coen Brothers movies it it has one of the most amazing soundtracks of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic movie, great visuals. I, I think of Oh Brother as being one of the more accessible Coen Brothers movies, one of the ones that's easier to for the audience to follow what's happening. 
I agree. Uh, and, and, you know, so I might have seen Hudsucker Proxy priorly, but Oh Brother, Where Art Thou was the first one I remember watching. I remember vividly watching. And we were talking about Gateways last week because it's so accessible. It was the gateway into their other movies uh, and kind of eased me into appreciating their particular style of storytelling. Yeah, and uh, and that style is really unique, uh, which is I I get it. I was mm-hmm. being redundant. Really unique doesn't mean anything. It was it is unique. Um, <laughs> their their take is quirky. Some might say uh, unconventional. It's not a good word. They are really good at using metaphor and imagery to supplement their storytelling. So. These are the type of movies where if you just had the script in front of you and you were just reading the script, you would only get maybe 60% of what the movie had to offer. Mm-hmm. The direction and the uh, the intent of those movies is so deep. It's the sort of thing that I began to appreciate more the more I developed my critical analysis of movies. Not, not criti- mm-hmm. critical in the sense of finding what's wrong, but rather understanding why the movie is the way it is and the choices that were made to make it that way. There's something of like the fairy tale as well that kind of winds its way through a lot of Coen brothers movies. Uh, You mentioned the Hudsucker proxy. Mm -hmm. That's essentially a fairy tale. Um, Hail Caesar is largely a fairy tale. Raising Arizona. Another one. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of them are dark fairy tales. Martin Fink is, incredibly dark. I think it's an amazing movie. I think it's also a movie that a lot of younger viewers would have real issues sitting through. It's a very deliberately Mm -hmm. paced film, but it is a very, a lot of their stuff is. That's true. So, uh, you, you brought this up because you just recently watched Fargo, right? Yes. Which is in another very deliberately paced film. And you mentioned that they put a lot of, fairy tale elements into their stories and they do. Um, I was reading somebody's commentary on acting and on filmmaking and on storytelling. And they were saying that what you watch in television and film is not the in-between moments. It's the exceptional moments of somebody's life. But I really feel like, especially after watching Fargo, that uh, the Coen brothers still like to show a lot of like the everyday life for their characters. So they put these characters in these fantastical situations, but they aren't afraid to just like sit in the mundane and, and really let you feel that character's everyday life. So it almost makes the fantastical moments moments more fantastical and the characters more relatable. That's a really interesting point. Uh, I agree. I mean, like, like, Their movies are often films where I need to watch it a second time to really appreciate them. There are a couple of exceptions. Hudsucker Proxy is very light and fluffy and charming just on the surface, so you can enjoy it from a surface Mm -hmm. level. It's not one of their deeper films. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou is extremely engaging. There is a lot of deeper stuff in it, but uh, you don't have to be focusing on that in order to get entertainment out of the movie. Some of the other movies, though, mm-hmm. like you need to be really paying attention and thinking about those things in order to get stuff out of it. And that doesn't necessarily come out of the first viewing. Like, I remember the first time I saw The Big Lebowski, I did not like that movie. Uh, it has since become 
mm-hmm. one of those movies that I, I can watch all the way through from beginning to end and enjoy every second of it. But that's not how it was the first time I saw it. In fact, Fargo was also that way. I didn't like Fargo the first time I saw it. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas there are other movies that they've done. No Country for Old Men became one of my top favorite movies of all time as soon as I saw it after the first time. It is a harrowing movie. Um, it is heartbreaking at times. It is phenomenal. It is one of those where I was just gripped by the film the entire time I watched it. I, I watched part of no country for old men. I having grown my love of the Coen brothers over the years, I think that I need to watch it again and give it, and even growing my love for Westerns. I know we talked uh, in an earlier episode about fandoms that we had to kind of ease into. And that's one of them for me. Um, I, I really want to sit down and give that another watch. Because I, I know that it's it's got quite the following and quite the acclaim, and I feel like I'm missing out for not having seen it. No, yet. speaking of westerns, at least all the you way need to see the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, it is, I do. It is a masterpiece. the The first sequence, it, so it's five different sequences, if I'm remembering correctly, um, each one independent of all the others. The first one. Uh, it's a little violent, but it's 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 like the most fairy taleish of all of the five, and the fifth one is the most kind of gothic fairy taleish of the five. Not not violent. The fifth one's not violent at all. Uh, all the violence has already happened. Mm-hmm. But the fifth yes. one is my fa- might be my favorite sequence that the Coen Brothers have ever done because that. That it's it's just five characters. They're in a stagecoach. So it's like a bottle episode type thing. They're all in one place. They're all crammed together in a stagecoach. And they're conversing with one another and debating with one another. And uh, it has a character who might very well be the devil. And I think that it is a phenomenal piece of filmmaking. Uh, I mean, I, I was super excited to watch it when they first announced it and they released the trailers. And and then I heard that the first like the first segment was fantastic. And then it all kind of fizzled from there. I, I don't I don't uh, think it fizzles. But the second segment is um, it's not it's not bad. I enjoyed the second segment, too. The third and fourth segments mm-hmm. are hard on you. They are. Um, they are, they are tough. They're not bad. They're just, they're harrowing. Knowing that I'm the kind of person that has to look up if a dog dies at the end before I go into a movie, Uh knowing that I think I could go into it, expecting it to be hard and enjoy it. I could not let my anxiety take over so much. I'm really excited to see what they do with the tragedy of Macbeth. Yes, yes, um, yes. And I'm going to go ahead and correct myself, although people will have already yelled it. There have to be six segments because I just thought of one that didn't fit in with the five that I had already imagined for the Bell to Buster Scruggs. So, hmm. but that being said, yes, I agree. Uh, the tragedy of Macbeth, I'm very curious to see that. And I'm also, I need to watch some of the the films that, you know, I still haven't checked out. Like, I don't think I've seen Miller's Crossing. I've definitely seen Blood Simple, which was their first film. But I don't remember seeing Miller's Crossing, which I hear is amazing. 
I've never seen a serious man and I feel like I need to, um, some of their, some of their middle films are often listed as being kind of lesser than like the lady killers and intolerable cruelty. I haven't seen either of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I need to watch all of them because even, I think even in their lesser films, if you want to call them that there's a lot to take away from them. Like there's a lot of, of directorial style, a lot of like, again, it comes down to choices, uh, editing choices and directing mm-hmm. choices and acting choices. And you can walk away from something and say, like, I have a deeper appreciation for this part of filmmaking, even if the movie itself didn't really speak to me. Exactly. I mean, I can go into a Coen Brothers movie and learn an encyclopedia worth of uh, things about acting. Mm-hmm. I'll go back and I'll like, I can't, I, I have to go back and watch the movie again without my husband. Cause I just want to rewind and watch people's reactions and watch the little nuances they stick in. Um, it's just really fantastic. What is your all time favorite Coen brothers? It's, well, it's no country for old men is my all time favorite. Oh, you but but that, to be you? fair, like, like if you're, uh, if you're talking about movies that I found, like, I don't think I could say no country for old men is the most entertaining movie. I think it's my favorite for, for other reasons. Like I have to be in a mood to watch no country for old men. Uh, cause it is, it is not a movie that, you know, you just throw on and grab some popcorn. Um, but if I were, if I were to say like, just for entertainment purposes, Oh my gosh, that's hard. Um, yeah. Cause yeah. big Lebowski is way up there. Hudsucker proxy is way up there and raising Arizona is way up there. Uh, those, they all three mm-hmm. really compete for that. What about you? Uh, I would say for me, it's uh Hudsucker proxy or, Oh brother, where art thou? That's Just, so good. Yeah. I mean, it's, here's the wonderful yeah. thing. When you can find a creator who makes stuff where it's a struggle for you to identify which one is your favorite because you love them all in different ways. That is Mm -hmm. phenomenal, right? There are only a few out there, right? Like Quentin Tarantino, uh, while he's a very different kind of stylistic director, he, he also makes really amazing movies. And, um, and Mm -hmm. you know, I don't love all of them equally, but I find all of them interesting for different reasons. Yeah. Same. I guess we'll have to talk about more directors in the future and and uh, what we love and dislike about their directorial and story making yeah, choices. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Next week, we're going to talk about Neil Breen. Oh, <laughs> Ariel, I have such terrible things to show you. <laughs> but next, <laughs> after this next break, we're going to do a little storytelling of our own and maybe the Coen brothers will make it their next movie. We'll see. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, we're back, and we are going to mash up a couple of the news stories we talked about earlier in the episode, specifically Avatar The Last Airbender and Mad Max. Yeah, this one. One of which Jonathan has not That's right. Watched. I have not seen Avatar The Last Airbender. I've seen like a couple of episodes, so full disclosure. So my, my wife loves the Avatar The Last Airbender series. I don't think she's seen Legend of Korra, but she has watched the full avatar story the three books she's watched all of those and she loves it and and i've only seen a couple of episodes and i didn't really get into it um so uh i ended up deciding that rather than uh totally destroy everyone's love of a of a an amazing animated series and incorporate the characters of either the avatar uh, original avatar tv series or the legend of korra series I would dive into ancient history. <laughs> so um, can I go first? <laughs> sure. This is called Mad Max, the last Chrome Bender. Uh, and, and, and for <laughs> reference, these events would happen 
a little less than 300 years before the events of the Avatar The Last Airbender TV series. So this is this is before the Hundred Years War and the Fire Nation trying to take over the world. So here we go. Max has a problem. He's navigating his way through the <laughs> islands of the Fire Nation. Each island is led by a different warlord. While the Fire Nation is, in name at least, a united entity, in reality it is a collection of competitive regions that jealously guard resources. And Max happens to be in one of those resources. He has borrowed, air quotes, a souped-up miniature Tundra tank, an experimental vehicle developed by and for a vicious firebender named Kulin, leader of Ma'inka Island. She is not known for being particularly forgiving. Max's would-be captors are in hot pursuit, so to speak. I mean, they are firebenders after all. And Max isn't on his home turf. As such, he finds it difficult to evade the pursuers, and while making a daring maneuver to drift around a corner in a last-ditch effort to escape, he sees that around said corner are even more of Kulin's soldiers. He's out of road and out of luck. Captured, he is put into chains and forced to march back up the street, a full detail of Fire Nation soldiers escorting him back to Kulin. He is forced to his knees in front of her. She dismisses her guard, who leave her alone with the prisoner. After demonstrating some terrifying fire skills, she surprisingly removes Max's chains. She explains she has a job for Max. He is clearly talented, but more importantly, he is absolutely not affiliated with Kulin. Max, Kulin explains, is to assassinate a different firebender named Rangi, Kulin explains that Rangi was her rival at the Royal Fire Academy for Girls, and that years ago, Kulin was defeated and her clan disgraced because of Rangi's actions. Max is to seek out Rangi using his survivalist abilities to get through impossible situations and take her down. Max, unable to really bargain here, agrees reluctantly to the proposal, as death is the least attractive option. Kulin gives Max the use of the specialized Tundra tank, and Max is off. After some time having left Kulin's territory, getting a lift on a ship to a neighboring island, Max is clearly looking for a way out. He tries to plan out a circuitous route that would appear as if he were tracking and closing in on Rangi, but with the ultimate goal of ditching the whole thing and going on the run out of the Fire Nation entirely. His destination? The Sinland Village, a farming community and part of the Earth Kingdom. But between him and that are numerous islands and Fire Nation warlords. Max finds himself on a desperate chase, made all the more difficult as tanks are not particularly good at crossing water between islands. Before long, he is forced to abandon his vehicle to travel with the less chance of being noticed, and even then he has to use a hooded cloak to hide his features, which would be instantly alien to the Fire Nation inhabitants. Quietly, practically without speaking. I mean, seriously, this movie has like very little dialogue and almost none of it goes to Max. <laughs> anyway, the Wanderer finds himself hopping island to island, narrowly avoiding discovery. Kulin has found her abandoned vehicle, and her soldiers are seeking out Max. In addition, each local island presents its own dangers. And just as Max is plotting his escape through his, air quotes, borrowing of a small boat, his plan backfires. 
He had used rumors of Rangi's whereabouts to ply his escape, but turns out he was following just a bit too closely because Rangi herself shows up. Turns out it's her boat and she has her girlfriend with her who just happens to be Avatar Kiyoshi from the Earth Kingdom. What follows is a pretty rough butt whooping for Max, who fails to explain his goal properly at first, but just as Rangi gets ready to roast Max, he blurts out Kulin's plan. Rangi lowers Max and her eyes narrow. Kyoshi, who towers over Max because she's like real tall, puts her hand on Rangi's shoulder, staying her from barbecuing the Wanderer. Rangi tells Max to take the boat and make his escape. Years later, the Fire Nation tells legends of a man who could control a vehicle as if it were an extension of himself. The Chrome Bender, he is called. And we wait for the next sequel. The end. Oh, I loved it. So it's a little less uh, joke it. heavy than my normal mashups, but yes. <laughs> but it was really, really good. So I did mash up the beloved animated series. Yes, but specifically presumably you've Mad seen Max. it. <laughs> I've seen a lot more of it. I, however, this is not going to be 100% true to Avatar lore. <laughs> this is just as a trigger warning, I guess. Uh, That's fair. So, this is Angity Man Beyond the Thunder Nation. <laughs> it's five years after the war with the Fire Nation has ended, and all the nations are at peace. Aang, along with his team and his trusty Sky Bison, Appa, are eating their way through the nations again out of boredom and that's when they come across it past the reaches of the metal clan a new nation but not heart as captain planet might lead us to believe this nation was grim lawless a barren desert worse than anything they had ever seen before but facing a lack of purpose ang decides it's now their quest to figure out this strange nation rebuild it to glory and connect it with all of the other nations that are now at peace However, to do so, he must find who runs the sandpit. Just as the friends settle into camp for the first night, they're attacked by marauders who try to steal Appa for what Aang doesn't even want to imagine. Toph and Aang team up and swipe the marauders away in a massive sandstorm. Thankfully, the storm must have cleared out any other marauders and the group are able to spend the rest of the night uneventfully. However, they all decide that if they're going to venture on, they need to disguise Appa to protect him. Seeing that the Marauders came in on vehicles, the group find an old truck, gut it, and hide Appa inside. Um, it's a, kind of a chintzy disguise, but it's what they had. They travel on, and the first town they come to is a settlement led by a warlord called Humongous. The settlement is destitute, and no one seems to want to help Aang and his friends correct anything, probably out of fear. And that's when they see it, a small feral child firebending in the shadows. They go and they talk to him, and he agrees to reunite this land to the rest of the nations with them. Uh, as they go to take the feral child out of the settlement, Humongous chases after them, entering his vehicle, and the small feral child sets the oil tank on fire, exploding the vehicle and ridding the settlement of Humongous. The child stays behind to help the settlement recover, and Aang and his friends move on. Next, they come to a place with a sign in the front that says Barter Town. Welcome to the Thunderdome. Aang shouts out as Andrew, hey, who runs Barter Town? And a leader named Auntie comes out. Being a barterer, she agrees to let their town rejoin the nations and civilization if, if Aang could defeat her champion in the Thunderdome. He agrees and comes face to face with a tag team duo called Master and Blaster. 
Air starts his airbending and knocks the helmet off Blaster, who finally free turns against Master and deafens him with a thunder blast. Turns out Blaster was a powerful airbender and the helmet was keeping his powers at bay. Blaster sides with Aang and his friends. Auntie sees she's defeated and agrees to join the rest of the nations. Aang and his team ask if there are any other leaders they need to confront in their task, and Auntie says there's one other Angity man. And she points them to the Citadel, run by a horrible guy named Immortan Joe. The team avatar travels on, and they get there, and they see that Immortan Joe has enslaved a bunch of waterbenders. Beyond that, Joe is unreceptive to joining the nations. He thinks he's got a good thing going on with everybody enslaved and him having all of the milk and the water and the goods. Uh, Katara and Sokka, insisting that the waterbenders can't stay with this horrible, gross man, sneak the waterbenders inside of Appa's costume to get them out of the citadel. They escape, and the waterbenders tell the team about the fabled Green Place, a place that can restore all of this wasteland to its once former glory. And the team heads towards it. Joe finds out that his waterbenders have been taken, and he sends his one firebender, Furiosa, after them. And also alerts the nearby Bullet Nation and Gas Clan, some rogue earthbenders who tried to make the best of it when their land went to waste. Furiosa, the Bullet Townies, and the Gassies? All chase after Aang and his friends. At that moment, in an effort to get away safely, Appa bursts out of his disguise and flies above the bullets in the fire and the mayhem. Furiosa, seeing this, realizes that all is not lost. There's still a green place in the world, and she turns sides and joins forces with the team avatar. She destroys the other pursuers, makes peace with Aang and his friends, and leads them all to the green place, where together they can bring back life to this desolate nation. They do so, and work together with the towns they freed, bringing them all back to prosperity. And Aang returns to the Thunderdome to airbend with Blaster as a new tag team duo. So you walk through Mad Max 2, 3, and 4. <laughs> but you skip the, the first one. <laughs> because it doesn't count. It's pre-apocalyptic. I just thought, I just thought it, it was funny count. because you could have pointed out that, that Morton Joe looked an awful lot like this other guy called Toe Cutter from like years ago because it was the same actor who played both characters toe cutter was in the first Mad Max. I, I, you know i could have but i just imagine that team avatar uh was dealing with the fire nation yeah, maybe that, that was time. like earlier in so, that hundred years war thing when when that first uh that yeah. first one happened i liked it i liked yeah. all the like i thought at Thank first you. it was just going to be a road warrior avatar mashup but you you yeah. uh you really doubled down on that one I really doubled down. You know, I have this habit of writing up my mashups in a way where I just cannot say any of the words correctly. No, I mean, listen, that that's my style of writing, too, is that I'll write things that I read like when I'm just reading silently. It sounds great in my head. And then a human mouth tries to say it mm-hmm. and then it all kind of falls <laughs> apart. You know, I'm kind of surprised that a human mouth tried to say any bit of this mashup, but I think it turned yeah, out well. No, it was a, I didn't know what to expect when I agreed to do this one. So I'm glad it turned out the <laughs> way it did. If you out there have ideas for a mashup, or maybe you have your own ideas of what a Mad Max avatar mashup would be, or maybe you just think that, uh, we should never touch avatar ever again. You know, avatar, the last <laughs> airbender, I avatar Pandora avatar fair mm-hmm. game. Although that's just Pocahontas. Anyway, if you have any of these thoughts, you should get in touch with us. Ariel, how do they get in touch with us? 
Well, if they want to send us something long form, uh, they can email us at lnc at iheartmedia.com. Or if you want to send us just a quick suggestion or comment or thought, you can do so on Twitter at LNC underscore podcast or on Facebook or Instagram at Large Nordron Collider. Oh, you can also check out all of our show notes on our website, www.largenerdroncollider.com. Uh, we'll have them posted shortly after this episode airs. Yeah. And until next time, she has been Ariel Caston. And he has been Jonathan Raggedy Man Strickland. Bust the deal, spin the wheel. The Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. The show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.